Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A gospel reading from the 14th chapter of Luke. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in turn, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." Grace and peace to you, my siblings in faith. Well, the first service, we had a little bit of fun with all of the kids at the, at the kids' table. So you are going to get to have the distinguished joy of being little kids today. Can you do that for me? Also, one of my favorite parts about this passage is this is, I think this is the excuse, or this is perhaps the really Lutheran Bible passage. Uh, it's why all Lutherans really, really love to sit in the very back of the church, and why all of the first like four rows are empty except for the people who, who are participating in worship. So, way to go! You guys are just waiting to be invited forward because that's what the gospel is telling you to do. Good job. Awesome. Uh, this passage starts kind of in an interesting way. So it, it's talking about how on this one occasion, when Jesus is going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, there's a few like, boy, there's something going on here. What is going on here? They were watching him closely. Like, they are just watching Jesus like a hawk. Because, you know, even in the last chapter, we heard about, you know, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, right? That was the, that was the message last week. And, and so Jesus kind of doubles down in the verses that we don't have. So you notice when she was reading it, she started at the beginning of chapter 14, read a verse, and then we missed a couple. There's another healing, so it was kind of redundant from last week. I guess whenever they were picking the verses, they're like, yeah, we don't really need those because he just did that. But Jesus kind of doubles down. He's like, oh, you don't really like that I uh, heal on the Sabbath. Well, I'm going to do it again, all right? And so everyone's like, oh, Jesus, how's he, why is he doing all these really bad things like, you know, healing people? Uh, this is something that the Pharisees don't like because he's doing it untraditionally. He's doing it on the Sabbath. He's doing it on days when they don't want him to do that. And so... You've got the Pharisees, you've got a meal, and you've got the Sabbath all kind of happening at the same time. What could possibly go wrong here? 
Well, well, plenty. I mean, I think the, the Pharisees are building up their case. They are trying to have every one of these examples. You know, like the, gos- the, the Gospels get written down of all of the th- things that Jesus has done that kind of irk the Pharisees. Well, they're probably doing the same thing. They're taking notes so that when they have the chance, they're like, well, then he did this and then he did this. They have a detailed ledger of things that they don't like about Jesus. But guess what? It goes both ways. Jesus is kind of here. He's at this party. He's kind of a wallflower. He's like, oh, okay. I see what you're doing. Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor. And because of his observation, he tells them a parable. So here's where I'm going to have you help me tell the story a little bit. Because I think it's really helpful to make this story kind of come to life if we think about what's really going on in the story. So you got Jesus who, you know, he's noticing that people are taking probably, you know, what kind of seats do you think they're taking? So do you think when Jesus is making this observation, are the people there taking the best seats or the worst seats? All right, which one do you think? Probably the best seats, right? Like these guys probably think they're pretty high and mighty. So they're sitting, they're taking the best seats available because they think that they've earned them, that they have them. What do you think those best seats are? Like if you were going to be at this kind of a party, what kind of, what kind of seats do you think are probably the, the most distinguished ones? Well, the ones where you can be seen, the ones that are super distinguished, the ones where the, like, the, the, the guest of honor might be there. You want to be sitting as close as you can to the guest of honor. All of those things are probably true. Uh, so in order to kind of capture this imagination with the kids at the first service, I said, have any of you been to a wedding? Have any of you been to a wedding? Right? What is the best seat at the wedding reception? The head table. Who's sitting there? The wedding party. You got the, the, the couple who just got married. You got the, the groomsmen and you got the bridesmaids. They are all sitting there. This is like, this is the table to sit at, right? What would happen then if all of a sudden you decided to stroll up and you were going to say, okay, uh, bad example. Okay. <laughs> so you've got the married couple and you are going to say, I'm going to sit down right here, right next to the married couple. That probably wouldn't go very well with your parents, right? So like, imagine you're, you're one of the kids and you're like, hey, I'm going to go sit right on the lap of the bride. Your parents would probably be mortally embarrassed that you had decided to do that. And you would probably be the talk of the wedding in all of the wrong reasons because you've kind of made this big faux pas. You're like, no, how dare you do that? You know, like, Uncle Bill, don't do that. Don't sit right there, right? You're not, that's not your seat. Like, we just kind of know there's some social norms about where we sit and where we don't sit. Yes, you can go up and talk to them, but like, to like, pull out the chair and assume that you're going to sit there and be fed and feasted uh, with the wedding couple, unless you are one of the people part of that wedding party, really doesn't make sense. Jesus is kind of calling this out. Like, there's this assumption that these people are really well lifted up and that they are the, the kind of the stars that everybody else should want to come and see. And so he kind of points out a few things that I think are helpful for us. He calls them out for the fact that they've exalted themselves. So what does it mean to be exalted? Well, it's to hold someone in a very high regard to think or speak very highly of. Now, this is a good word, right? This is a word that when we think about God, we, we come to worship to exalt God. Like, we want to lift up God as much as we can. 
But then I got to t- asking the kids, I was like, well, what are some examples of maybe somebody, like, do you have a sibling or one, do you have a friend in school who all they do is talk about how great they are at stuff? All of a sudden, the hands started going up, and one of them goes, yeah, I've got a friend who always says he's the fastest, or I've got a friend who's always the smartest. One of the girls raises her hand, she goes, oh, there's this one kid at my school who brags about having two mansions. I was like, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like this idea of like this self-importance and we got to tell everybody how great we are. It's kind of like watching a football player on a Sunday morning who's like all about themselves and they're like celebrating how great they are. And uh, yeah, you know, we, we realize that you wouldn't have been able to do this without your teammates. There's something to be said about the opposite way of treating that experience where for example, the football player who scores a touchdown and just calmly hands the ball back to, their, to the ref. Or they celebrate with their teammates, but in a way that's not all about themselves. And that is what God's pointing to in this lesson. It's about humility. It's about having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. It's not about being the know-it-all. It's about being able to say, wow, I can, I can be part of this and, and listen and I can have respect and I can have that ability to learn from from you and to know that it's not all about me that there's something greater at work here I think for the kids this was a helpful kind of switch for them they were able to say oh well some of those examples that would be really beneficial for me in my school would be like raising my hand before I talk and not blurting out answers or maybe it's like listening and having some some respect I said, well, what about maybe some of your classmates? What happens if you have a classmate who might be uh, kind of left out or a, a classmate who's kind of shy and doesn't feel like they're fully participating? Oh, their hands all went up. They're like, oh, this is when you can invite somebody to, to join in the game or to help them uh, to be their friend. And I was like, that's an example of being humble and knowing that it's, it's about how we are doing things together. I loved that they were able to put those dots together. You see, the story that we hear about in the gospel today, you know, it's about a party, but it's about something much, much bigger than a party. And I think, like, the metaphor goes well beyond that. It goes to, like, God's love for this whole kingdom, God's love for the world. And so when we think about how Jesus might be a little mad at these Pharisees because they're exalting themselves and they're puffing themselves up, he's mad because they're treating themselves as being someone better than their neighbor. Like, that's, that's the attitude he's trying to steer us away from. He's trying to get them to think about how it's much more important to be able to be invested in other people, to, to invite others to the party. You know, at the very end of the, the lesson today, it's talking about, well, you know, don't just throw a party so that you get invited to the next party, but be willing to invite everybody to the party. Like, that's the way that God treats you. Like, God knows that none of us are worthy, yet God says, I love you and all of you are worthy. All of you are invited to this big party known as the kingdom of God. It's very humbling for us to realize that it's not all about us. Yet that's what God does here. That's what God is trying to get through to us. And sometimes we might be a little bit overconfident or cocky. And we're like, I got it all figured out. It's all good. That's where I think those moments kind of slip in where where Jesus can help remind us, no, no, take, take a step back. We're part of God's kingdom. We don't win individually, we win collectively. We had a baptism this morning. What a great reminder of that promise of the sin being washed away as we each day get this new life, this way of uh, 
rising with Christ each day. That's what it's all about. And so I think sometimes we miss the point. And there's a great example of this that I saw play out. How many of you have ever made a faux pas on uh, social media? Ever happen? Ever say something where you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that? Or have you ever gotten into a fight on like a Facebook thread? Or maybe you texted something that you didn't mean to? I, I mean, I'm not, you know, calling any of us out here, but I know it's happened where you've gotten in fights that you just wish you wouldn't have gone down this rabbit hole. There's a story that I saw where that happened with a very famous Christian named the Pope. Okay? So here's what happened. The Pope, I, I know the Pope is probably not sitting there typing his own texts, but I do think that there's probably a handler for the Pope who is taking things that maybe the Pope has said or things that the Pope has shared. And so the Pope, this is earlier in the year, the Pope said this, and either the Pope said it or the Pope texted this, but this was a chance for the Pope to say kind of a message that was attempted, uh, attempting to unify people. So the Pope texts, we, or tweets, uh, we need to develop the awareness that nowadays uh, we are either all saved together or no one is saved. It's about hashtag poverty. This decadence and suffering in one part of the earth is a breeding ground for problems that will end up affecting the entire planet. Think about it. He's talking about like the cause and effect of all of the things that we do, right? You could not possibly argue that this is a bad thing, right? You would have to be crazy to think, what is bad about saying that we are kind of all in this together and that's all on us to be able to help our neighbor, right? There's no way. I should just be able to end right here. But this is the internet. Someone chimes in and says, wait, what? This is just not biblical. Scripture t tells us we will always have the poor among us. Wait, what? To you? <laughs> like, really? She's trying to make the argument that I don't have to do all that stuff because God in the Bible tells me that it doesn't matter because there's always going to be poor people. Why do anything to help those who are suffering? And so someone, the thread continues to go, are you Bible-splaining to the Pope? So, like, mansplaining, right? Like, this is Bible-splaining. And if you make me explain this any further, I'd be guilty of both, okay? So, like, this person is asking this person, why are you Bible-splaining to the Pope? And she doesn't miss a beat. She said, apparently somebody needs to. Like, Pope, you're wrong. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? So someone comes along, and they're like, all right, here's the deal. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy in which God commands, since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and the needy neighbor in your land. And then, as if we needed it, she's like, the Pope is on solid ground here. Yeah, we know, we know. But then it keeps going, right? Imagine choosing that we should stop caring about poor people as the hill that you're going to die on in front of the Pope. Like, no, Pope, you're wrong. We shouldn't help people. Really? So then we get this, of course, this is the last graphic. What was it that the Pope said that got everyone so upset? And the other gentleman says, be kind to each other. And the other guy goes, oh, yeah, that'll do it. It illustrates how sometimes we defend being right over something that completely is wrong. You know, she's, she's got this point of like, well, it's not biblical because, of course, you know, there's always going to be the poor among us. And totally goes, she totally goes Pharisee on this. And it's like, look, you know, I, I'm right and the Pope is wrong when really this is missing the point of how God's calling us together. And, and I think the Pope's point is also about, 
We have to be in this together. Because if one person is being neglected, it hurts all of us. So what do we do? Like, how do we handle this? I think this is truly a call to work together. It's, it's this call to be humble. Share what we have. Listen to each other. We don't have to be, have these feelings of being selfish or greedy or jealousy if someone else is receiving something that we don't think they deserve or if someone else is doing well or if someone else receives grace. When we're all helping our neighbors, when we can all humble ourselves to exalt others, that's when we are all lifted up. And that's when we are seen as being honorable before God. Thank God for that. Amen. Thank you.